everybody's having to deconstruct this frame that was given to him as a kid and then figure out, well, who the fuck am I today based upon truth today, not who am I based upon the box I was given at eight. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way, anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening, because this is Travis Makes Friends. Today, I am making friends with Garrett White. Garrett is the creator of the Wake Up Warrior movement, which is responsible for multi, multi eight figures in sales. Whether you aren't getting paid the way you want to get paid or you're not getting laid the way you want to get laid, Garrett is here to wake you up with cold, hard, and brutally honest truths. In this interview, we talk about everything from fundamentalist religious upbringings to ayahuasca journeys to understanding sex and intimacy in a completely different light. This was one of those conversations that went a completely different direction than I thought it was going to go, but I enjoyed every second of it. It's very seldom, I guess, in this online world to find people as raw and real as Garrett. And to be honest with you guys, the first few times that I heard him speak or watched some of his stuff that he put out was a couple of years ago, and it was a little bit off-putting to me at the time. And frankly, I think it was just because I was too maybe insecure at the time to even digest what he was talking about or appreciate the raw honesty that he comes to the table with. But uh, after spending some time with him, I mean, the dude is larger than life, and he lives the ultimate version of his life, and now he helps other people do that. And I got to say, I, I just have the utmost respect for everything that he's doing uh, in this arena. So if this is not your normal cup of tea, do me a favor and come to this conversation with an open mind to hear Garrett out on what he has to say. So please enjoy this conversation with Garrett White. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am super excited to be sitting here in person in Laguna Beach with my man, Garrett White. Garrett, what's up, dude? Thanks for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate having me. Okay, so there's a ton to unpack here today. Yeah. Run multiple extremely successful businesses. Very interesting backstory, but before we get into kind of the practical, tactical things, let's rewind the clock. All right, go back in time. Let's call it uh, seven, eight-year-old Garrett White. Where mm. were you? Set the scene for us. Tell us about kind of how you uh, how you grew up there. Seven, eight. So uh, interesting enough, the I, I had most of my childhood was completely blacked out. <laughs> so like legit, like I didn't remember until the last like couple years. Really? Did not have any memories before 10. Um, I had a, like a couple things from pictures from my parents. So like it's talk about being in a place where they remember where the, the school they went to and they remember their teachers and their best friend in the first grade and the girl they were in love with in fourth grade. And, and like I just had nothing. And I never understood why I had nothing. And then um, in the last like 12 months or so, I've really gone deep into uh, the plant medicine world in searching to unlock some things inside of myself. I just wanted to feel more free and to find more truth. And so a lot of my, this is going to tie into what you're asking me, but a lot of what I've been experiencing inside of that has been a deep unpacking of my childhood and what was going on for me in my childhood and why I've looked at the world a certain way. And a lot of us, I always knew there's something, something occurred, something traumatic. I didn't know what the trauma was about. Um, I always knew that there was something that had gone on that I was not ready to see, know about, consider, or even speak to. Mm. So 
Unlike a lot of people, uh, I went through pretty sexual traumatic childhood, like pretty intense, mm. uh, with an uncle that was not desired, it was not wanted, it was not pursued, it was not something at any level as a kid wanted. But from about five to eight was being regularly sexually assaulted, raped by my uncle. And this was something that like changed my entire reality for life without even knowing it. It forged disconnection and dysfunction for me sexually. It created confusion with intimacy and connection. It like all these things, but I had no, I had no, I knew something had happened, but I'd never, I didn't know what had happened. And no matter what I'd done for years with therapists or coaches or energy workers, anytime we'd get back to about 10, there was nothing. It was just literally like this Fort Knox, this wall. And uh, in the last year and a half, as I started to peel back with plant medicine, I started being able to see past this wall for the first time. Images, situations, scenarios. And at first I was like, this bullshit couldn't possibly be these things. You know, I didn't want it to be true, what I was experiencing and what I was seeing. But as we continued down that path and I continued to work through that process and continue over this like last year, really unpacking it, and then started putting details and facts together from my mom and from different situations and places and then getting confirmation from different family members, it was, mm. which is crazy because you're like, oh, this, you know, where'd you grow up? What was your situation? We moved a ton. Uh, I was raised in Mormonism. My mom was a convert to Mormonism. My dad was uh, a Mormon from the time he was born. They were very, very devout. My mom was like a Catholic Mormon. So there was a box around my world that was very rigid and intense of a checklist of do these things and God will love you. And then inside of all of that was this event that was going on for three years with my uncle who lived two houses down from my house. Is he also Mormon? He was. He was a Mormon guy. Yep. So he died of pancreatic cancer at like 60. Okay. Which would have been how long ago? About 10 years ago. Mm. It was about... 70 years ago. And it was always okay. a weird situation with him because like I always at some level had this weird draw to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As an older kid, like even a teenager, but he would, there was a constant pushing away from him, like almost like an angry pushing away from me. And my mom always had this, my mom's a very intuitive woman and she yeah. fucking hated this guy. Oh, and I never understood why she hated my uncle so much. And again, I didn't have any like was memories. Was dad's brother? Or? This, was, this was my dad's sister's husband. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So there was like this, this gotcha. connection from that direction. So this is not something I, like, this is like for me, like talking about the affair of my wife, like cheating, like there's just these traumatic moments in, in a man's life, or at least in my life as a man, that forged a lot of shit for me. And that one event really fucked up my perception of sexuality and was fucking up my marriage. It was part of the reason why Wake Up Warrior was born was because of just this backdrop yeah. that I had lived in that I was unaware. And we all experience this. There's things that drive our behaviors and we don't even know why. All the, I mean, the opposition that was happening in your mind at the time had to be, you know, pretty insane yeah. coming from, because, you know, religious worlds don't really paint the best picture of sexuality most of the time. And then you have that, and then you have this super confusing other piece where this person who's also bought into this other framework that you're learning is violating multiple, you know, rules of that exact framework. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's no way that you could come out of that with, like, a good relationship with sex. No, oh, dude. Oh, I mean, dude, like, just even being raised in an environment as a guy... Like even women inside the Mormon frame, is not everyone, but a vast majority of anyone. And we, we see this now, wake up warrior with guys who've been raised in orthodoxy or any religious frame where sex before marriage is a no. Yeah. And so the frame is no, 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 no. And if you do, you're bad, bad, bad. And if you do, you go to hell. And if you do, and my, and I didn't, my parents kind of use that with me, but they also leverage the, 
you know, if you have sex with the girl, you will get her pregnant. If you get oh. her pregnant, you will lose your pass, your passion, which was pursuing collegiate football. So, yeah, it was a fucked up situation, man. Like, there was such a fucked up box of, like, trying to deal with life. So my narrative became box shit up and just go. Smile, box shit up, pretend like it didn't happen. Just be a man. Exactly. Be a man. Right. Don't fucking be a pussy. She's like, move forward. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of giggling to myself as we're talking about this because I grew up extremely fundamentalist in religion as well. So... Very familiar with all of the uh, the expressions and yeah. the tonality and the you know little stories that were told along the way mm-hmm. to make you feel like if I ever touch a woman that all of my dreams will come crashing down in front of me. You know what I mean? Everything. And then try to unwire that after you get married. You know, it's just like this total Rough. just clusterfuck of. Did were you, were you unraveling it before you got married? No, or no. So we were so we were virgins when we got married. Okay, um, and we. Uh, both grew up in the same kind of fundamentalist Christian circles. And uh, so, yeah, we were, I was, uh, she's my high school sweetheart. So uh, we started dating when I was 16. We were married at 21. So you guys were that from 16. So this is the, the one, yeah. the one vagina. Yeah. This is the one That's woman, right. the one passion. That's the case for my wife. Like yeah. I'm the only guy she's ever been with. Yeah. And it was interesting because if we got married, like the same game, like this was marriage number two for me. So I got married when I was really young, marriage yeah. number one. And that was where my son came from. Okay. And then I was married. That, that lasted about a year. And then we got divorced. We only got married to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, it was yeah. like, I'm like, I want to have sex. Well, we should probably get married because right. that's what right. you do in Mormon culture if you want to have sex. Most marriages happen not because people are in love. It happened because guys are like, guys go like, dude, we really, I really want to get rid of these garments <laughs> and just have sex right now. Can we just fuck? Right, let's yeah. do this. Okay, what do we have to do? Get married. So tremendous amount of guilt. It wasn't even until recently. Like I was walking with my daughter this last week. She's 15, almost 16. And her room's right next to ours. And it took my wife and I probably, you know, we've been together 21 years, four daughters together. It took us until the last probably 18 months to two years for my wife to sexually let go and for me to unwind my dysfunction sexually inside from abuse and also Mormon narrative about about sex and marriage and not... Etc. And I'm walking with my daughter, and she's like, I could totally hear you guys last night. I was like, good. She's like, mom was like going crazy. I was like, she was. I was like, and do you know how long it took for your mother to get to a place where she could give herself permission to just enjoy the process of having sex and orgasming and releasing and not giving a fuck and yelling and like screaming and speaking her mind and letting herself physically go. And so we're talking about this, my 15 year old and we're walking and she's like, well, this, and I said, I want this for you too. Because she's gone through some rough situations and situations she didn't want to be in. She put herself in a dumb situation and, and things happened. And then she's like trying to unwind a lot of the, the, the pain that she had from that experience. But I'm telling her, I was like, hey, like I want you to be with a, a man in a relationship where you can feel like that with mom, but not wait until you're you know almost 40 yeah, to be able to right. do that. But totally different than the place I was raised. I mean, kidding me? My mom like... My mom found out I was thinking about having sex with my girlfriend when I was 15 and fucking shipped me to my grandparents' house. Legit. Literally, I had a girlfriend. She was 18, I was 15, and, like, we had plans. We were like, we were having sex on prom. Fuck this. We're having sex. And my mom found out. 
literally broke the necklace off my neck with the picture on her and said, you're going to live to grandparents. Sign this pledge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then here's your promise ring. Right. Don't ever not, <laughs> don't ever have sex again. I'm like, did anyone ever anticipate how fucked up everybody was going to get from this frame? Principally, I don't think it's a problem. I don't, I don't think it's a problem. I, and we talked about this with my daughter too. She, I was like, if you just start giving yourself to everybody. Yeah. I was like, you realize that comes with problems. And I gave her a list of guys she knows who are close to our family who are in their mid-30s who've you know, been with a lot of women and they're very confused now because everything has all this contrast and comparison. So, sure. yeah, dude, my kid's childhood is very different than my childhood, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like I have another show called Figuring It Out and it, it's for this, these exact types of conversations because I don't think that there's enough grace given to young adults in being able to learn what life is and what it has to offer without the frame or without at least exclusively the frame that they were raised in, mm. you know, cause there's no, I don't know, you know, I assume this is probably the same for you, but there, there's no, like, there's no safe space when it comes to being completely honest about how you're feeling about something yeah. without judgment or questioning the internal beliefs that you've been taught mm. or, or have been kind of crammed down your throat for lack of a better term for, you know, years and years since you can barely, you know, walk or remember things. So I don't know that any, my experience, any Orthodox, Muslim, Jew, Christian, mm-hmm. or whatever else outside of that, like when you've been raised with, this is how it is, this is the only way it is, and this is the truth and how it is, yep. um, then like you're, you're really having to deconstruct as a man and a woman, but in my world of warrior with our guys, it's like everybody's having to deconstruct this frame that was given to them as a kid and then figure out, well, who the fuck am I today based upon truth today, not yeah. who am I based upon the box I was given at eight. Right. Which is super weird to think your whole life, but I have these weird moments with my kids where I'm looking at my kids, I'm like, you're probably gonna misinterpret what I just said right there. You're gonna end up like going to therapy over it when you're like <laughs> 28 and you're gonna think A, B, and C about me right. as your father, so. Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of the uh, acceptance that I think every parent has to have is just, as long as you do your best and you get them, you get the main things across, like know that I love you and that, you know, like that's the number one thing that mm-hmm. I love you and that I accept you for who you are. Yeah. Everything else, like they're probably going to be in therapy for something that, yeah. that we did as parents, you know what I mean? But as long as they know that they can't do anything where I would sit there and like disown them, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I think the, a lot of the differences now, but um, you mentioned plant medicine, which I do want to bring up before we kind of get into some of the business things that you've been up to. Can you talk about specifically what you're, you've been, you know, using to go through some of these things, how that uh, experience has been for you and what you would recommend for somebody listening who maybe might be really opposed to anything mm-hmm. like that? You know, because I'm curious to hear if you think that it's for everybody or if you would recommend it for a specific type of person. Uh, well, first off, it's not for everybody at any stretch of imagination, right? Even like like what I do here at Wake Up Warrior and what we train, people say, well, do you think everybody can have it all? I was like, no, not everyone can have it all. Why? Because most individuals are unwilling to do what's required. Mm-hmm. Should all people become entrepreneurs? No, most people shouldn't be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Why? Because they're unwilling to do what's required. They don't have the natural crazy chip. You're like, you should probably just get a really good job working for a crazy person who has that courage, right? So plant medicine is the same thing. It's like, I don't think it's for everybody. I think it's becoming very popular yeah. um, and there's a lot of it. And I was not down the path with ayahuasca. Like we went down a path with a, with tools known as clairgenics. Okay. And these, these medicines are very different. They're not hallucinogenics and they're also not a product that's about, um, 
it's just different. Like yeah. the product's different, the process is different, and it's treated in sacred ceremony very different. We're not traveling to Costa Rica with 200 people I don't know, laying in the jungle half naked with some shamans. Yeah. This is not the game. This is like top shelf game that we've been playing as entrepreneurs and producers, laundryless individuals that go to the places I go to. Yeah. And the goal was different for me. I was terrified of plant medicine, like very much, mm-hmm. like prior to about a year ago. Even the thought of going, there was something internally in me that was just terrified of this idea of losing control. So I, was, right? I was gonna ask if it had to do with religion or just the ability to completely- Religion not anymore, because we, we we left the Mormon faith in 2009, okay. and my wife and I have kind of really investigated a whole world, so it wasn't so much about, so it didn't really have anything to do with like religion frames at all, so much it was like, there was this thing in me that was very, like all of us are nervous as human beings to be exposed. Right. This is why like we're comp four that comes up here in just like a week and half the time we're we're doing this interview. Like there's men that won't come to WarriorCon 4 and experience what we'd have here at Wake Up Warrior because of the fear of being exposed. Yet exposure is what gives you the opportunity to actually grow and build something new. So plant medicine, I'll flat out tell you right now, I one of the reasons why I'm confident that I was nervous about. It. I even signed up for a couple of journeys with people that I knew, and then I didn't go. Oh, really? And they're like, well, why aren't you coming? And I was make up, because like, uh, truth inside was I was scared. Yeah. I was scared to submit to something I didn't know, scared to experience something I didn't know. So it was off the wake of trust of other individuals who I knew who were not psychopaths. They weren't like drug heads. They were, indi- right. they were big time producers, individuals I personally knew Friends of mine for 15, 18 years said, hey, we went to this place, we experienced this thing, it's beautiful. What made you say yes, finally? I just felt right. About this time last year, I just felt like my soul was like, let's go. Like That was it. There was just this moment of just knowing inside of me, it's like, okay, yeah. I'm ready to do this, let's lean in. Well, I think that's almost necessary. I feel like if you go do some of those things with this negative thought pattern, you can kind of chase that negative thought pattern mm. throughout the experience, yeah. even, and yeah. create something that will even make you more fearful of coming back and trying it again, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but how was that first experience for you then? Um, the most incredible thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like legitimately, so there's like the experience of like, there's people talk about relationship with Christ and then there's having a relationship with Christ. Hmm. And in that moment, like there was like for the very first time, the depth that opened up in the first few seconds of this experience was impossible to describe with words. There was a knowingness of being in and all things, around all things. I was everything and I was nothing at the same time. Everything existed and yet I was in pure darkness. The description I give to people is like general general, uh, anesthetics, right? So I've gone through a lot of surgeries, a cancer in my jaw, a bunch of injuries. So going in and having surgery became kind of a normal thing for me. Lay down on the table. They give you the initial drugs. You start to feel quite nice. You're like, okay. And the nurse is looking over you and he or she, and they're talking to you. And then the doctor comes in and gives you a look. And they're like, okay, bro, you ready? You ready? You know, I drank my coffee this morning. I'm ready to cut you to pieces. They don't really say that, but like, okay, I'm ready to go. And then the anesthesiologist will come in and say, okay, we'll give you a nice little warm one. We're ready to go. We got you, bud. And the shot comes in and then everything goes like this. Countdown okay. from 20. Yes. With typical journeys with mushrooms and ayahuasca, the way that a lot of people are using them, it's now this, this out of control, eyes open, I'm gonna flail and look at the world and I'm gonna lay on the ground and experience God. And yet all these people I talk to, I'm like, what did you actually experience? 
that was practical in nature that translates into this life and reaching into heaven to bring it here to earth. So what have you brought to earth? Like, this was my question always. I was like, so what? I don't want to shit myself for five hours and throw up for three <laughs> and call this a spiritual experience. I'm like, what happened? And that's how ayahuasca was introduced to me. Like, my friend comes like, oh my God, I did this thing. It was so great. I'm like, okay, what was it? He's like, well, first, I was shitting for like two hours. And then I threw up for like an hour. I was like, this is the worst fucking pitch you've ever did. Like, who wants it? That's like me sticking my fingers up my ass and being like, this smells like shit. You should smell it too. And I was like, no. So I wanted nothing to do with it from that. Like, so coming back to general aesthetics, this was not that. And you, where, where in general anesthesia, you black out and then they operate on your body. I've had surgery for nine, 10 hours and like they come back, my jaw's wired shut. They pulled it apart, doing all kinds of crazy shit, dude. And then you come back and you're like, oh, fuck. And you're like, oh. Clairgenics is a process of you close in and then everything goes the opposite direction. So the opposite of completely unconscious is completely conscious. And the game goes, and everything opens the opposite direction, like immediately. And the guides and the people that are guiding you through this process, it's very calculated, it's very strategic. The yeah. process is not rushed, it's very sacred, it's very powerful, and you're by yourself. You're hooked up to microphones, and you're recording yourself having a dialogue and conversation with your soul. And this is where I started unpacking like fundamental core issues that had been plaguing me for life. What do you feel it has done for you in a practical sense for like interpersonal relationships, especially in regards to the ones that are closest to you? So I had the, the biggest one right out of the gate was I had created a collapsing of three concepts, sex, intimacy, and love. I had created in my mind that these three were the same. So if I felt love or intimacy for you, there was a natural trigger in me about sexuality, which would make me feel weird because I'm like, I don't want to have sex with you. No. But yeah, I'm like, oh, I just look a man, hairy chest, just not really feeling it. Yeah. Like that's not a drive for me. So if I felt intimate with you, which is we were vulnerable or honest with each other, and I felt intimately drawn to you as a human being through intimacy, naturally I would have this trigger to sexuality, which I didn't want. So then I'm like, the fuck is this? So then I'll push you away. So I spent most of my life pushing people away. And I really started seeing this happen with my daughters. I have four of them. When they were young, I was all over them, tickling the backs, holding them, et cetera. The minute they became young ladies, about 11, 12, I would push them away. So I'm like, I'm not a fucking pervert. I'm not fucking my uncle. I'm not like doing this shit. Nope, I'm not that fucking guy. So intimacy got confused with sexuality as they became young women. So I would push them away, feeling like I was some kind of predator. I'm like, fuck this. So I'm sitting in my first journey and God's like walking me through this, like visually placing these three things and showing me how I've collapsed them all. This piece changed everything from my marriage. Like it changed it from my relationships with men. It changed my relationships with my kids, with yeah. everyone. Cause I could see for the first time that you can be intimate and not be fucking. You can have love and intimacy and have it not be sexual. And the, the thing I was actually looking for my whole life wasn't more orgasms. What I was looking for was love and intimacy beyond sex. Yeah. But I could never get there because of this. So, it, I mean, you talk to my wife, talk to my kids, talk to all my clients. I came back from my first journey. My parents have gone and done this. My parents are Mormon. Wow. My parents have never drank. Wow. My parents don't drink coffee. 
Nothing. And my parents journeyed on this. They, wow. were, very, they were very nervous about talking about this with my siblings because they didn't wow. know if they are going to be judged for it. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Well, we're going to use some drugs that you know, our son <laughs> told us to go use. And uh, my dad has been set the fuck on fire. My dad's 71 years old, and he has just got a new license on life. Yeah. And uh, it's been amazing. So he's, son, doing, he's doing Santa Claus work now. He too. does Santa Claus yeah. work. Yeah, yeah bro. He, awesome. He's like, he's the happy Santa. <laughs> yeah, we even got my dad microdosing. Oh, no. oh yeah, he's mashing it. My dad's killing life right now. He's like the happiest Santa you've ever seen in your life. There's a whole bunch of different things. There's a, there's a specific protocol that they'll play that we play out, which is every three days we change it up. Listen, a lot of people are going to like try to dance around this. The people introduced me to this called it a meditation retreat. Because yeah. most people don't live in a world. Drug retreat. Well, it's not even that. It's like they can't. Is it people are nervous to even say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. one of the powerful plays of Wake Up Warrior and just my life was I realized over a decade ago that the only way to feel weak in a room was to be filled with lies. I think one of the things that draws people into anybody that's been able to create something that is bigger than themselves is there's an instant wall that gets put up. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, I've been following online space for a long time. I've seen a lot of your stuff out there mm-hmm. and your first like when you first get introduced to a big personality that mm-hmm. is willing to tell the truth in that type of a setting, yeah. your f- initial reaction is just a wall. It's just like, fuck that guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know what 100%. I mean? Like, I, don't, like, I, don't, I don't need all that woo-woo, get in your face bullshit in my life. Like, you know, get out of here. And you start to realize you go behind closed doors with a lot of these people and it's like, there was a reason. There was something, there, there was, a, there was a, a catalyst that caused them to be that way. And most yeah. of the time, it is what makes them human, you know, and that, that's why I love doing the show is, and you know, when I did my interview with, with Grant Cardone a few years ago, that was the biggest feedback that we had was that mm-hmm. people were, you know, saying like, this is the first time I saw Grant as like a person, as a mm-hmm. human being, because mm-hmm. like it was beyond all the bullshit and we got into drug addiction mm-hmm. and family problems. And it's like, oh, it's a, yeah. it's a human being yeah. that struggles and, and goes through life the same way that I feel about life, but they were able to pick themselves up and head in a certain focused direction that caused a bunch of you know, good results that positively impact yeah. not just themselves, but everybody that stands around them. And I think that that's, you know, I think that's the goal of, of anybody if they would, if they'd be willing to say it. Um, I want to kind of direct our focus back into the career side of things. I uh, was doing a little bit of research and stuff. And, and so you were in the uh, mortgage space, yeah. is that correct? <clears throat> Prior to, or, or right after the crash. Is that right? So I was like led up to it. So I, I was a, I was a PE teacher and a football coach. Okay. Right. So like my whole Passion in life and getting, I was raised in Stockton, and then we moved to central Washington to a place called Yakima, which is pretty much an apple country place in the middle of Washington State. Okay. Dies in our high school. My goal in life was play professional football. Okay. So only that I wanted to make money, I wanted to be significant. From the time I was young, the way I got attention was because of sports. So I could, we moved a lot. We went to, if, we, if you were good at football, Yep. Like you could immediately have a social group. You oh. had a brotherhood to hang out with. You were cool in school. Even if you weren't cool, you could be cool because you were on the team. Yep. You had a purpose to move forward with. So football was my life. Didn't want anything else. Pursuing a scholarship, pursuing a scholarship. So I go play at Boise State University. Okay. End up from that place. Things my, I get injured a few times. Career becomes what it does. End up playing the arena leagues for a couple years and it's over. Well, so I'm then sitting there with a degree as a PE teacher and I'm teaching eighth grade PE and I'm coaching high school football and I'm sitting there going divorced, paying child support, making like 1400 a month. I'm like, this can't like this. I have a, I have a bullet bike 
and a cell phone contract and I live in an apartment with like five other guys. <laughs> like, I don't know if this teaching thing's gonna but get, I don't know if it's gonna get it done. So I go to yeah. my mentor who coached the you, time. You were 20, it's like 25, 20, 24, 25, yeah, right in there. Okay. And I and I asked him, I was like, he's been a coach forever. I was like, dude, I just feel like this is like not it. Yeah. And he's like, get out now. He's like, you're too talented. You have too much skill. You got too much ability. You can go do something else. And did, that's how I ended up in mortgages. Did you look at, did you look at him? Like when, when you looked at him, did he seem like he had pulled significance from that in his life or did he seem like he regretted it? No, he loved being a coach, but he also hated having to paint fucking houses in the summer, run, you know, run underwater basket weaving camps for kids in the summer just to pay his bills. Right. Right. Like not even to get ahead, not not getting ahead just to stay above water. So at a certain level, if you're not getting paid for your passion, your passion becomes your prison. So you're like, oh, I'm going to do this because I'm passionate about it, which everyone will do for a while. If this show doesn't make any money, you don't stop. You don't keep doing the fucking show. Like at some level, Warrior had to pay me. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep doing it. In that case, a PE teacher, he was stuck. He was a coach, history teacher, weight training coach, stuck. So a friend of mine at the time handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And they had also gotten into mortgages and they called me to come over, guy named Matt Atkinson, and he said, hey dude, come check this thing out. I'm like, what is it? So I go over and he shows me this, this check. I'm sitting in his office and I don't know what the fuck he's doing. He's wearing sweats. I show up, he's got all suited up and he's looking all official, like a Grant Cardone sales floor. And he's like, look at him and he's like, holds his check up to me. It's like just over like $4,000. I thought, wait, what the fuck? Did, did, you, did you make that last, like, yeah, was that, that was last, like last month? Quarter. Yeah. yeah, he's like, no bro, that was last week. I was like, get the fuck out of here. So I abandoned the game of teaching, enter the game of sales floors and become a closer on a floor, which is cold calling. I got a stack of leads like this and I just started churning and burning, just calling every day, 12 hours a day. Real quick, what made you take the leap? Because I know I was listening to you talking to somebody else and you were saying that you got a job offer previously to do car sales. And mm-hmm. you were like, ah, the sales thing, I, I'm totally, because I get this a lot. I talk to a lot of people and I'm like, mm-hmm. look, if you want to get started making money, get started in sales. Yes. There's no risk. You don't have yes. to start a business, take out this loan, put out a bunch of money. You work for somebody else, you find a product you believe in, and then you sell it. Yes. And you can make a lot of money doing that. Big and time. In, while you're doing that, you're, you're creating all these soft skills that'll become coming really handy if you do decide to start your own business mm-hmm. and you'll have money in the bank to do it. But get started there. But I run into the same thing that you were saying that you had originally, which was this opposition to being the sales guy. And so you said no to this car sales job, but now you said yes to this mortgage thing. What happened in between there and what made you finally willing to pick up the phone and do dials? So when the invitation came on the floor, we were, we were servers at a restaurant called the Mayan, which is like this like cool rock cliff jumpers. It's kind of like the Rainforest Cafe, a little okay. bit different. And the guy that owned these car dealerships was sitting at our tables and he invited me and the other servers to come sell for him. Mm-hmm. And my, my, my other buddies, Ammon Carlson goes and sells for him and I don't. And I'm like, truly, I was scared. Yeah, I was scared of the idea of being commission only. Mm-hmm. I was scared of that, which was funny because I made all my money in tips at a restaurant, but I was still trying to break free from a family that had raised me with an employee mindset, which is get a safe job, go to school, get a degree, that, 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 that. Like I was still not on top of all the religious shit, on top of the abuse, on top of everything fucking else I was dealing with. Right. There was this scarcity with money, ah, being an employee, ah. So it's terrifying. So I said no, cause I was scared. And you were 20 something? Yeah, I was like 20? 23 okay. at the time. 
So I say, no, he goes and sells and he's working and he starts having success. So it like kind of plants a seat. Mm-hmm. I finished my, get my degree. It's my degree's finally done. Cause I was a few quarters short of a degree. I get a degree and then I go start working and I'm sitting in this place. And I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like this just sucks. Being a server was cool. Cause it was a fuck around, you know, work at night, work on a week and make like, you know, a couple hundred dollars in cash and have fun. I don't have any responsibilities. My wife now, Danielle, when I were dating and I just started feeling this pressure of like, I got a son from a previous relationship. I got a girl who's really hot, who I really would like to like keep. I'd like to have her be mine. Yeah. And I'm a loser. Like I got nothing. I got no money. I got no skills. <laughs> like the, the pressure was just right. Like the principal, the student is ready and the teacher will appear. Just conditions were right. And I think a lot of times people hit these positions where the conditions are right and a mentor shows up and extends an invitation like being on this show right here. There's people watching this show right now. This is your fucking window. Not only should you be at WordCom 4, but going down the word path with us is absolutely what you need. But there's this terror factor that will rise up, kind of that fuck you. And that's what happened to me. So the pain was right. The person was right. The situation was right. The invitation was right. I was like, fuck, what do I got to lose? So I took a credit card. I had a Discover credit card. And I said, I'm in front of the next four to five months, I made no money. Just paying my bills on a credit. Good thing I didn't have the big bills. I still live with five of my friends. So like, didn't have big bills. Put it all on the credit card. No money, no money, no money. And every day I'm like, I refuse to be fucking broke. I am so tired of being a poor guy. And I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so I had an idea that people could be rich. Yeah. Not playing football. That anybody could. That anybody. Yeah. You could do it if you were committed to it. So I went into it. I just went in every day. I wore a suit. I was all stoked. I had my own cubicle. The wall was all fucking tilted. I had a picture up of Danielle sitting right there. I had a picture of my son. And I walked down into the basement because I was a rookie, rookie, rookie. And so they put me down in the basement, basement, way down in the back corner by myself by the coffee machine. And I would go down in there and just, I was committed. I was like, dude, I re-. it wasn't about pursuing prosperity. It was running away from fucking poverty. I was like, I am tired of being fucking broke. I hate not understanding money. I am so tired of being this guy, like this fucking loser who just has got all this personality, but in the end of it, I got nothing to back up with it. I got no money. I got no business skills. I don't know what I'm doing. Yep. Potential. Potential. And that's it. And that's guys I know today, yep. guys I grew up with. They're now in their mid forties, still filled with same jerk off potential and haven't done anything with it. So it was a I mean, dude, it was it was a moment, and it, yeah, it okay. forged me. It took me six months. Then I made my first month. I made ten, like just over ten thousand dollars. There you go. And then that changed me. It's and then right. I was like, I remember sitting first there at blood, Dangle, first blood. It's oh, like, oh, oh, that tastes shit. good. <laughs> oh, ten thousand dollars. <gasps> then I did it again, and I was like, <gasps> and then it became an obsession. Yeah. People say I became like addicted to money. I became addicted to the feeling that came with producing wealth. Yeah. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even 
faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. What did you learn, you think, on that sales floor that you've taken into every other venture that you've tackled now to this yeah. point in life? No one's going to save you. Hmm. No one's going to save you. Pure commission is the coolest game ever because nobody gives a shit. You don't show up, you don't eat. Yeah. You show up and you don't close, yeah. you don't eat. Can't be it's half-assed. It's the purest shit of all time. It's like no fucking paycheck, no guarantees, no nothing. It's like there's nothing. So like sitting in that environment, and there were nights, dude. I mean, I'd be going like four days in a row with nothing, and I'm dialing 10 hours a day, just dialing, 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 trying to figure out this back-ass words calculator, HP12C, because we had the software and all this shit back then. I'm trying to do reverse calc. I couldn't even do forward calculations with the calculator. Here I'm trying to fucking do it backwards while talking to somebody on the phone. I'm like, oh my fuck, dude. Plus I don't know anything about money. I don't have a mortgage. I've never bought a house. I don't understand any, I don't understand money. I don't understand economics. I don't understand mortgages. So there was decision after decision I had to make sitting in that pit the sales pit. And I'd listen to dudes closing next to me and I wasn't closing. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Right. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. And I would just stay at the office until like 10 at night down to the last minute I possibly could. And then yeah. I would get up the next morning and show up the office. And I was like, if I just keep showing up yeah. and keep doing this and keep asking for feedback and getting better from the mentors and guys who were closing. Cause my, my, my manager was 19. Oh no. 19 and he'd made $650,000 a year before. Oh man. Cause My, this was like what? 2000, 2000, 2001. 2000. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. This so, is yeah, beginning this is like a great time to get oh, into yeah, it. That's yeah. great. Then, so I was to say fast forward. All that fast forward is 0708. I build my first couple mortgage companies, build one, sell it, build another one. We get into financial services, life insurance, financial education. We run the largest cash flow board game nights on the West coast three, four, 500 people. I've got like 250 or 300 cash flow board games. We're playing board games. We're getting people making money. We're helping to refinance. We're doing investment deals. We're doing all this, but we were not entrepreneurs. We were hustlers. So then 08 hits. You said something I think really profound there that might've just gone over a lot of people's heads. Can you say that one more time? We were not entrepreneurs. We were hustlers. Yeah. Uh, dude, that, that hits home for me because that was the same way. I'm a door-to-door guy, you know, 100% commission, door-to-door, several years training, managing, just knocking doors, hustling. And yeah. you get into entrepreneurship and you think that you're invincible, 
yes. because of how you did well in this other game. And then you start going like, oh, that's only like one aspect of a business. There's like seven other things now that I have yeah. to learn that I did not expect I was going to have to learn. Yeah. So what made you realize that you were not an entrepreneur? Um, my business like melted before my eyes. like During the crash. Yeah. So pressure hits. I wouldn't lose my business now. But then... Like I was sitting in this place of we were riding so forward on the edge and like everybody, like there's a whole group of people right now, right now, there are realtors, mortgage brokers watching this show and you're fucked mm -hmm. because the only time you knew how to make money was on a rising market with a refi boom where real estate was going up and everything was going up. And now you're going to find out real quickly like we did that you were a hustler and you're not an entrepreneur. And the idea of being able to hustle, it only works so far. Entrepreneurism is a commitment to becoming a kingdom builder. I'm a king building kingdoms, not a soldier or a warrior making sniper shots. Like I can be a warrior and kill, but and that's great. Some people are born to do that and sure. they're born to work for kings. Sure. They're born to be under the shield and the protection of the king. And I was not a king at the time. So when our when the game came in, I know no foundation, no emotional fortitude, no mental like idea of how to lead and help everyone get through this fucking time. And so we lost everyone. Let all of our teams go, almost 100 people. I had to let every person go, let my mom go, my brothers go, let everybody go. And then I made the biggest mistake ever. I thought I could just take all my personal money and throw it at the business and it would fix it. And that didn't work. So then I had no money myself. The business is shut down. I have no path. I've never made money doing anything else outside of serving tables. Our lifestyle is now like 25000 to 40000 a month, which was not a problem with the fact that we were taking home several hundred thousand dollars a month. So people are like, you should live in your means. I'm like, motherfucker, I was living in my means. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what you're doing. If your money stops, you're no longer in your means. Right. It's like it wasn't about 25000 when I'm making a quarter million a month. I was like, this was... This was a time of change that I was not prepared for. And what I didn't know was happening was God was about to get my attention in the biggest way. It's like I was going to be brought to my fucking knees. And it was the roots of what would become the Wake Up Warrior movement. This is, you said, you know, 0708. So if I'm tracking right, you're 32, 33, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And everything crashes. Yep. Where do you go from there besides deep depression? Uh, barefoot, <laughs> uh, mala beads, grow my hair out, and I leave the religion I was raised in. Mm. Um, Interesting. I, I cheat on my wife. I become heavily addicted to vodka and alcohol, and um, I just let go. Like, I got to this place where it was just like I was done. I couldn't fight anymore, and there was this moment of just... Like I knew it, like I was sitting in the car talking to one of my mentors and I'm looking in the mirror and tears are pouring down my cheeks and I have no fucking answers. I don't know what to do. I'm terrified. I'm alone. I have nobody to talk to. I have no guys to like, there was no way. Like the minute I was being honest with a guy, it would make the guys be weird and they get totally. fucking guys. We weren't honest. So yeah. then everything was bravado, chest out. There was no real talk. You couldn't be vulnerable about your problems. There was nothing. So I had no one to go to. No one. And when I, the, the religion I was raised in, there were no answers. The men I knew, there was no answers. And I was always the guy providing jobs, giving everyone everything. And all the people I gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to different people just because they needed help. And then, of course, the minute I need help, no one shows the fuck up. That's the so I'm a, the king, right? Yeah, trying to be the king, to be the yeah, king at the right, time. Right. So that piece was like this moment where it's like I had a singular episode happening on a treadmill. It was weird. 
was running ultra marathons at the time, mm. just kind of running from life, but also like God was using it as a tool to help me build a weapon in a mind and body that would let me endure pain for long periods of time and not yeah. stop. And I was trained mentally how to do this. It's how I was able to build the last 10 years of Wake Up Warrior Movement and do what we've done. Because I just have this chip in my brain from ultra running of, I don't care if I fucking hurt. Not getting up is not an option. It doesn't matter how shitty it is. I'm fucking going no matter what. Yeah. Don't care if it's raining, I'm running. I don't care if it's snowing, I'm running. I don't care if I'm throwing up, I'm running. I don't care, I'm gonna fucking go. Yeah. And in that pocket was the beginning stages of this one call on my life. And I was watching Joel Osteen on a treadmill. He was on TV, big ass TV in a basement of this unfinished house we were renting. And I'm running on this treadmill and I'm like, just don't even know how I end up watching Joel Osteen. And this, this message, this question comes in, which is, if I lead you to these stages, will you say what I need you to say? I got nothing at the time. I got no money. I got no business. I got no direction. My wife hates me. I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing. I have no one. And I have nothing. And this question comes. And I stop on a treadmill, and I remember standing on both sides of it, and the treadmill's passing through my legs, and I look at the TV, and I look up at the ceiling, it's unfinished. <sighs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And the minute that happened, the call began. I had to be brought to my fucking knees. I had to experience prosperity and then be brought to my knees. I had to be led to take a knee to the king. And then from that place, God would begin to formulate this methodology for living called the warrior's way. And I started building it in my journals every day. And I started playing it with myself. No one else, just me and these journals. Started putting pieces together, ideas, concepts. Started doing things differently. And people started seeing things changing. My wife saw me changing. And men around me saw me changing. So much such that by the time 2012 came, at the end of 2012, men started reaching out. Hmm. Bro, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, what? What are you doing? Like yeah. we saw you here, then we saw you here. Now we see you here. Like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, It's just too noticeable. It's like when I journeyed this year of medicine, my parents noticed such a radical difference in my being. Yeah, And my family around me, people around me saw, my clients saw such a radical distinction in who I was being, that there was a natural draw to be drawn into and participate in whatever it was that I was doing because of who I was being, which to me is what modern leadership is. We're not following people because of what they say anymore. We're not following people because of the shit they think we should do. We follow people today in the one currency that actually matters, the currency of certainty. Certainty is a being. You can't fake it, you can't buy it, you can't purchase it from another person, it can't be borrowed. Certainty is either generated inside of a man or it is not. If you have certainty, you can create in chaos. If you have no certainty, like I did in 2008, you are destroyed in chaos. The chaos is not if it's here, chaos has hit our society in every angle and every direction. Impacts what's happening with vaccinations are now starting to show their ugly fucking face. Everything that's happening around us from divorce to everything going on with kids and opiate addictions and now all of the open, all the kids fucking killing themselves with these pills right here in my own backyard. 82% divorce rate in Orange County. Human beings, generally speaking, cannot fucking figure out how to live. Yeah. And in that place of uncertainty and in that place of chaos, 
men particularly are being assaulted and attacked and thrown into a fucking pit. Why? Destroy society. You want to turn people into slaves? Destroy the kings who actually have the power to rise up and build kingdoms that would defend against this fucking darkness. But you, you can't do this if you have a sedated, castrated king who's hiding in a fucking alley fucking a whore. This guy is clueless. He has no idea. He tries to drink it, pop it, smoke it. You can't fucking fake it. That's motivation bullshit. Running on fiery coals will not save you. Jumping out of a helicopter for a weekend will not save you. You'll either learn how to fucking generate it or you won't. And in that place of finding that certainty for myself, once I found the initial piece of it, the taste of this was so potent, it was so profound that there was nothing, there was no one that I was not willing to sacrifice to continue to maintain it. There was nothing in me, no secrets. There was nothing because part of the formula was truth. There was a connection directly to God in truth. And when I spoke it, when I felt it, when I knew it, I didn't have to have the money, the success. I didn't have to have any of that to start. I had to have truth. And so this little ember, this fiery ball of truth sat as my initial weapon. And I'd walk into rooms of men who had way more than me, men who had bigger businesses, who had better, better situations in life, and they deserved it. They had done it. But I would walk in this thing they didn't even have, yeah. which is this I don't have anything to hide. Yeah. You can't find out anything about me. I've not already told the world. And yet, here's the challenge. You have secrets. And a man like me and my certainty is dangerous as fuck around you because I have nothing to hide, which means there are no questions I will not ask. There are no topics I will not attack. There are no discussions I will avoid. And inside of all of that place, men run and hide from me. And men that run at Wake Up Warrior until they're ready to be free. And then when they're ready to be free, they come to WarriorCon 4. When they're ready to be free, they knock on my fucking door. They come knocking and say, I want to learn this warrior's way. I want to learn how to put my life in this place. I want to know how to generate certainty every single day. If you come from a place of truth, I mean, yeah. what can stop that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like what? I think that's what resonates so well with the, the people that jump into the warrior programs is... Yeah the gasp enabling truth where you're willing to stand up tell a story where you where you were invited somewhere this event or or dinner or something with a bunch of like you said high performing men in the room and people are going around introduce and of course everybody's 30 second intros of themselves is all of the highlights from every point of their life and then you get up and say basically like i'm broke i don't have anything i cheated my wife i'm unhappy and that yeah. one thing causes everybody else in the room to just go. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually with the 90% guys. They will not do that. I was with the guys that ran that event. Like it was called Speaker Author Networking Group Sang okay. 2009 in LA. I was with those guys on a yacht cruise with Keith, actually Keith Yaki, my best friend, like him and P Vargas. They were on that yacht cruise and they, to this day, they're like, bro, we have watched you since that moment. Mm. Like that day, the potency of what you were sharing was so intense, no one in the room knew what to do with it. Yeah, He's out, And it's amazing to watch what you've been able to do since 2009 to 2022. Yeah, Nearly two decades, you know, decade and a half later, pursuing this ideology, because it wasn't just about getting to truth. Yeah, It's how does truth translate into results? How does truth translate into having it all? Mm. How can I be a man, weaponize this fuck in my body, deeply connected in a true relationship with God, 
on fire sexually, passionately, intimately with my wife, deeply leading my children and feeling love and connection, and at the same time, exponentially increasing my financial wealth year over year. How can I do all of this at the same time? Not be wealthy and a fat fuck, and at the same time be fit and broke, or be fit and wealthy with a disconnected marriage, (laughs) cheating on my wife all the time, or being in a situation where I have all those things locked down, but I have no clue where I'm at spiritually, or I'm trapped in a religious box that I keep lying about. How and is this even possible? This was the vision that was placed in my mind. Now we proved it. Yeah. We proved it 55,000 times over. We proved it. Yeah. We weren't, we we were the originals of black t-shirts with white print. And I went underground building software and protocols and tools and systems and wrote six books all to break down this science that we had proven with thousands of elite men. How do you take a man from wherever he is as a man, weaponize him as a warrior, activate him as a king, and ultimately establish him as a free man to lead? Fuck the government, fuck everybody. How do you get a guy to that place to lead? Well, everybody's chasing around social media followers and trying to get fucking popular, and everybody's trying to get paid. I was after one thing, power. Power leads to paydays and popularity. Most people trying to cheat the system. I want to get paid. I want pussy. I want to do this. I want to be popular. But they refuse to do the work of power. And so we get this illusion of power. Mm. And social media lets me have the illusion of power. That's why I meet these big social media influencers. And I meet them in person. I'm like, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You better hope that 22 million follower game you got going on will fucking protect you. Yeah. Because my little 63,000 followers on Instagram, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Because your followers don't mean shit right now to me. Because right now you got to front me as a man. Mm. And none of those people can defend you. You have to front. I'm not talking about fighting. Yeah. I'm talking about confronting the hard emotional reality of where you are as a man. And most men are liars. Most men are hiding. And it's not because we want to. It's just we, know, we don't even know how to stop. Yeah. Society tells us to. Even amidst all the authenticity, it's become inauthentic. <laughs> I'm so spiritual. The minute you have to tell me how fucking spiritual you are, you're not spiritual. Yeah. I just get a little fired up about this. <laughs> no, I love it, man. That's awesome. That's why, that's why we have these conversations. Um, okay, so, so I've run 800 episodes of my show yeah. all about relationships yeah. and purposefully auditing the people in your life that you allow the most of your time to go to. Mm-hmm. You seem to constantly, since I've, Come become aware of your brand and who you are and what you do. You seem to constantly surround yourself with people that that not only enable you to be who you are, but encourage you to be more of who you are. Mm. Can you talk about what practices or what you know ideas you've had around the relationships that you've allowed into your life? Well, first I'll tell you, I've never had a best friend until the last four years, which was super weird for me, right? I found that most guys I led do not really have a group of guys that can lean on. And you've got a version of guy you can lean on, which is your college buddies that you drink and hoard yourself out with. And then you're like, you know, you're now in your forties and you got four kids. And unfortunately, all the cool shit at 22 is not cool anymore at 46. Mm. You're like, oh yeah, no, no, dude, you're an asshole. That's it. Like, that's it. You go to the fucking bar every weekend. You get drunk all weekend. You're a fucking asshole. You don't do anything productive. You're not contributing to society. You're the pumpkin Facebook profile guy that talks shit on my ads. Eat a bag of dicks, you fucking <laughs> pussy, right? So there's these guys that operate over here, and then they and we as men we isolate ourselves in this place because we don't know how to actually be real. And I'm not saying there aren't groups of guys that get it. There are lots of groups of guys getting it now, which is my pathway to being able to have a true brother is to be honest. 
But that means I have to take a risk. Yeah. So for me, I just was very public about it. And I had a one directional relationship, which is I had all my students. And then I said no to everyone else. That was my path for like 10 years. No to the podcast. No to the events. No, I will not speak at your event. No, I will not be on your podcast. No, I will not do any of that shit. Why? Because I got to build a movement. I got no time to fuck around over here. So I learned advertising and sales funnels. People are like, well, why don't you network and be part of it? It's like, fuck networking, fuck them all. I'm just gonna do what I do right here. I'm gonna control the ads, I'm gonna control the system, I'm gonna build the movement, I'm gonna build the movement. Now, the last couple of years, it started shifting, which is I, I had it all. I had it all, $22 million house on the beach, beautiful wife, amazing family. My son was back in my relationship. I'm fit as fuck, I've got tons of money. My business are working, my, my, my game is on fire, but I'm still not free. And I'm like, how is it possible that I could become the number one case study of this movement and build the have it all lifestyle? I had it all in all these areas and yet I still was not free. And that came down to two relationships. One, a relationship with Christ. This was missing. It was missing for me. It was missing, but I didn't even know I was missing it. But not a relationship with Christ like everybody wants to put me in a Christian box. Yeah. I'm not talking about non-denominational denomination Christian, Andy. I'm not talking about Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness. I'm not talking about anybody's ideology. I'm talking about a direct and real relationship with Christ, the King of Kings, a relationship with me. I don't need your Bible. I don't need your quotes. I don't need your prophecy. I don't need your blessings and I don't need your prayers. I'm gonna go straight to the King. And then that relationship started to begin to set me free. Now, as that started happening, the same time around all that, I was being introduced to what it was to have a friend, which was Kitiaki. I'd never had a friend before. Never had a friend who hadn't paid me. I mean, I had lots of friends that were clients of mine. Sure. And I had lots of friends that were mentors of mine that I'd paid. I had lots of friends there, but I'd never had a friend that hadn't paid me or that I hadn't paid. I didn't know what that was like. Guys I played football with and stuff back in the day, but... Since then, as a grown-ass man, kids, no. What am I going to do? Go hang out with my friends? Where? Do what? I got no friends. Fuck friends. So in surfing, I found this crazy yahoo. I'm Keith Yaki. Keith and I started surfing. I mean, he now actually surfs. When we first met, he just was very passionate about laying down, putting fins on his feet. <laughs> but he's learned how to be, he grows up. You know, like that situation where like a man evolves from ape to standing man, like he's just evolving. I think it's because he hangs out with me. He's just going from like this like over bent over toast floater to like a stand up server. We're super proud of him, he's come a long way. (laughs) Keith and I like started having like what we call like merapi, which was like man therapy. And we would just sit and talk as friends. Yeah. And guys need it. And that started opening me up. And Keith like knows everybody. Me, I just tell everybody to fuck off. It's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't go to that yacht party. I'm not coming to that party. Don't give a shit. Who's gonna, I don't give a fuck. They came to us and wanted to do a big party at our house for all these celebrities and, and they're like listing it all out. We're gonna bring in the Ferraris and Lamborghinis and the, the watch people from Breitling and da, da 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 and you'll get this person, this person. And I looked at him and I was like, I don't fucking care, dude. Like, I don't give a fuck about any of these movie people. Fuck them all. <laughs> no, they can't have a party at my house, no. I don't care. I don't care about any of them. They're so awesome at the party at their house. And I'm not even going to go to a party at their house. Like, I'm not going to your party, and I'm not inviting you to my house for a party. Like, I don't do that shit. I don't give a fuck. I got five kids, a wife, and a life that I got to live. I don't have time to go fuck around. But I was missing out on the joy of having friendship and brotherhood that way. And I watched my guys in Warrior for the last 10 years have that experience. They come to Wake Up Warrior, they would learn the Warrior's way, and they'd bond. They'd become best men in each other's weddings. They'd go on trips with each other's families, and they were best friends. And so a lot of me was like very much like coveting that relationship. So Keith was probably the entry point to me being open to the idea 
of really being able to lock arms with a lot of different individuals, groups, um, processing. Dude, where this interview's happening because of Keith. Yeah. So like he's like kind of opened this up for me. And up to that point, the only people I'd surround myself were people who were builders and growing. And I typically paid them. I would either go hire them. I said, that guy's that guy has what I want. I'm gonna pay you. How much does it cost to play with you? 100,000, 200,000, 500,000, what is it? 20,000, 10,000, what is it? How do I get in your world? Yeah. How do I buy my way in? So I bought my way into people's worlds. Then I had people who would buy their way into my world and that was the foundation of our relationship. So Keith was the first relationship where there was no buying going. Yeah, yeah. Which was super different for me. Mm-hmm. So now I don't have time for people who don't do shit. Like I can't handle being around. Family, doesn't matter. If you're in my, like family members, like extended family, tons of victims. Yeah. I, sp- I spend no time. I spend one day a year Right. And I will deep breathe deep and possibly be high the whole day. <laughs> just to let everyone yeah. know I'm here and I'm getting the fuck out. Yeah. Because I just don't have any patience yeah. in my life today for people who are uncommitted to themselves. I'll, have, I'll give you a permission slip, but like trying to decide who those people, that's why being around Grant Cardone in the last like couple months has been deeply inspiring. Yeah. Because he's not like he has a marketing persona like I do too, mm-hmm. and most people don't realize that we as human beings have a an entire sixty four pack Crayola crayons of differing versions of ourselves mm-hmm. that show up in different environments. And being all of those is part of the purpose of this life is to figure out all the colors that you actually are and to draw with all of those colors. Mm-hmm. Stop fucking coloring with the three fat fucking crayons from the elementary school. Well, I got a red, a yellow, a green, and a blue, and here we go. I can draw with four fucking crayons that are really big. No, 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 dude. You got like 64 to 124 colors. Why don't you go investigate all of them? So now I'm looking around at people in a different place. Like I really resonate with entrepreneurs. I deeply resonate with men who are pushing, and I deeply resonate with men who are choosing to be entrepreneurs, choosing to be married, and choosing to have kids. Like choosing to do those three, and then choosing to have a relationship with God. Like those four things. So as I was able to submit to and have a relationship with Christ for myself, my way, not anybody else's way, pastor tried to tell me, well, this is, ah, shut the fuck up. I'm not asking for your permission. Yeah. Before the Bible was Christ, before the Bible was God, don't quote me another fucking scripture. I swear to God, I'll knock you the fuck out with your Bible. <laughs> I don't want to hear from your bullshit. Shut your fucking mouth. And then there's my world of being in relationship with this power. That's what I was after. And the men that are inspired by Wake Up Boy, it's not that we don't have a relationship with pastors. It's not that we don't have a relationship with people like this. Sure. It's not that we don't have a lot of associations. Yeah. It's that whoever's in the circle, and the most important is, is the connection to God. Because once that piece for me was locked in, there was freedom. And I'd been pursuing that freedom for a long time, but it, was, it, was, it now had a name and it had a frame that worked for me. People say, well, do I believe in Christ? They experience the power of what warrior is? No. That's because you don't believe in something. When you practice the principles, you get the result, the end. Yeah. Big, big fan of what, of what you guys are doing here. Garrett, thanks so much for coming thanks on, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.